We're gonna be looking at the discipline of service, but I just wanna take a moment and on behalf of the elders, I just, I gotta thank you guys. Um, last week was the discipline of fellowship and we just challenged you all. We asked you, hey, instead of blowing out of here, take an extra five minutes and just talk to someone. Even if it's someone new, don't be afraid to say, hey, I'm sorry, I feel like I should know your name, but I don't, and introduce yourself. And last week was, it was so incredible to watch. I mean, every single one of the elders at some point talked to me and was like, that's cool. Are you, are you seeing how many people are sticking around and talking to each other? Like, that's awesome. And here's the thing. I expect the leadership to be looking for stuff like that. This is what we're, we've been tasked with the, the direction, the health of this church. So I expect us to be looking for stuff like that. What was really special is how many of you all on your way out, when you finally left after being willing to stay behind and talk to people, when you finally left, you were like, wow, that was, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, I push hard. I know I do. I'm a pedal to the metal let's go. I, you don't have to pretend like you're protecting my feelings. I know I push hard. And I do so for two reasons. First and foremost, because scripture tells me to. Paul writing to Timothy, talking to the leadership of the church, says, devote yourself to exhortation. Devote yourself to challenging the people you're leading. And so the first and primary reason that I'm going to push hard is because it's what scripture lays out. The second reason that I push hard is because you all respond to it. And it is, it is so appreciated on behalf of myself and the staff and the elders. I mean, really thank you for stepping up and for re responding. And we tell you, hey, look, pre-service prayer, this is important, it matters. We wanna see this grow. Guys, we're about to have to open up the second half of the room. You're packing the space out. We're talking about reading plans and you guys are saying, okay, I'm doing more reading than I ever, I mean, it's, it is truly humbling, and we are so grateful to all of you. And so thank you for last week especially, but really thank you for who you are being as you follow God. It's, it's a privilege to behold. Um, so we're looking at service this week. Where it's, a, it's, again, it's a, it's a wonderful topic, but it's a discipline that we all desperately need in our lives. So please join me in prayer before we begin. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for how faithful you are and how good you are to us. We thank you for this body you have assembled. We thank you for the love with which you have brought this family together. And we thank you that you have brought us together for your glory and your purpose, Lord. May it never be about us. May we be burdened as a family for your kingdom. It is a privilege and an honor and a joy to be adopted by you. May we never take it for granted. May our lives reflect the worship that you deserve. May our lives be an outpouring of sacrifice for your holiness. Lead this time, God. Thank you for the music. Thank you that we're able to raise our voices together and sing to praise you. And now, as we have the privilege of opening your word, lead this time. Speak to us. Teach us. We desperately need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're talking about a discipline of service, a discipline of servanthood, a serving heart, it has to begin 
with a proper foundation. It's why we began this series by looking at Scripture. Because if our lives aren't built on Scripture, if we're not starting with God's truth, we're missing the absolute core component of all of this. And the same thing is true when it comes to servanthood. It has to begin with a proper perspective and understanding. And so when we're looking at servanthood, this idea of being a servant, we have to understand that this is a call on every single believer. This is not optional. This is not reserved for a certain time or season of life. This is not reserved for a certain group of people or a certain individual. This is the call on all believers. Why? Because it's not about serving one another. It's about serving God. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand that, and make no mistake, we're going to talk about serving one another, but if we don't understand that what drives it is a heart that desires to serve God, well, then we've missed out. Listen to these verses. Deuteronomy 6.13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Deuteronomy 10.12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does God require of you? God's people, what does God require of you? to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That word for soul, we've looked at this time and time again, nefesh, it means your passions, your appetites, your cravings. Everything that you are passionate about is meant to be used in service of God. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 24, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. That's about the leadership of the church. And so now I'm talking to the leaders. Guys, your name is Lord's servant. This is expected of you. Paul says the leaders are to be setting the standard for the church. So leadership needs to set a standard of servanthood. 1 Peter 2.16, talking to the whole church. 1 Peter 2, you should have read that this week. If you missed the book, if you missed the reading plan, we've got them. Make sure you grab one as you leave. But we're reading through, so you should know this verse. 1 Peter 2.16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. The call on the believer's life is to be a servant of the Lord. And so if we don't have this discipline in our lives... We are neglecting one of the absolute foundational commands of who we are meant to be. And so now you've got this big picture question of, okay, what does it mean to serve God? What does it actually look like to serve the Lord? And again, I think this is where he's so gracious and kind to us because he lays it out and he gives us these definitions and he gives us these teachings so that we can answer these questions. What does it mean to serve the Lord? And one of the most unavoidable, essential ways we serve God is to serve one another. Listen to Matthew 25. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 25, in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Serving God involves serving his people. It's unavoidable. It's inescapable. This is what he lays out. I mean, how many of us would hesitate if Jesus, Jesus himself walked through the doors of the church and was like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to do lunch with afterwards. I'm new to, I'm new to Mansfield. I want to make a friend. Will, will you have me? I mean, how many of us would be like, well, Jesus, the game's on. No, we'd be like, yes, Jesus, come to my house. Please, let me, let me make a meal for you. Let me fellowship with you. Let me be your friend. How many of us are willing to do that to his children? Jesus says, you want to serve me? Serve everyone else. Serve the ones I died for. Serve the ones I love. Serve my bride. You can't read scripture and avoid this truth. Not only does he lay it out here, he models this. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus set it out when he took up the cross. He said, this is the path. This is the way you live. If you want to follow me, you got to do the same. It's not optional. He doesn't say, if anyone would follow me, take up his cross, unless your week's really busy. And then just check in with me in a month. No, he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Die to self. This is what I'm modeling. This is what I expect. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. And one of the things we've talked about with Scripture is these are all one cohesive, these are cohesive letters. And so in reading Philippians 2, you have to understand the context of Philippians 1. Because these chapter breaks weren't in there when Paul originally wrote this letter. And so what's right before Philippians 2, in verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, hey, let your manner of life as a believer, as a professing believer, your life needs to be worthy of the gospel. That's how you're to conduct yourself. And then he gives the details. And he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, has anyone ever been encouraged by Jesus? Amen. Any comfort from love? Has anyone ever felt comfort from the love of Jesus? Any participation in the Spirit? What have we looked at? All believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Any affection and sympathy? So if, the, if any of that is true about you, and if you're a believer, you have declared that this is true about you. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm not just, that's, that's not how I'm naturally wired. Yeah, that's why Jesus said you'd be born again. We have the heart of Jesus. We have the mind of Jesus. This is the heart and mind of Jesus. So we have to ask, is this our heart and mind? To serve in humility, seeking the best of others, all those around us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Crucifixion was the most excruciating. I mean, the word excruciating literally comes out of crucifixion. Excrucio. Because the pain that you felt on the cross was so great, they didn't have a word for it. Crucifixion was the most excruciating death that you could die in that time. And more than that, it was the most humiliating death. It was reserved for the criminals who the Roman Empire wanted to mock and scorn. This is the death that Jesus chose in humbling himself to become a servant. Jesus modeled this for us. And Jesus commands this of us. Again, unavoidable. Matthew 20, starting in verse 20. Then the mothers of the son of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say to these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father." And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. See, they just asked for the most audacious request. Hey, give us this incredible honor. Elevate us to a position above everybody else. They didn't get it right. And then the ten don't get it right. The ten now become indignant. And if I'm reading this, I have to be honest, and there are times where my ego is like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, put me on your right hand. I'm doing pretty well. There are times where I hear other people would say something, and I'm like the 10, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm better than you. You don't deserve to sit there. I deserve to. How dare you ask that question? So they ask this question. The 10 become indignant, and then listen to Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, those two really blew it, but that's okay. You guys, you're justified in this. He doesn't say, yeah, you guys are right. That was a great question to ask. He says, no, no, no. This is what you need to understand. When the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 9, 33 and 35, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Man, talk about an embarrassing moment. Right? Tim and I, we're going out to lunch. We're meeting Jesus at lunch. And on the way we're driving over, I'm like, hey, I bet I'm better than you. Tim's like, no, I'm better than you. And the whole drive over to lunch, we're arguing about, hey, I'm, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the, and then we get there, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, what did you talk about on the ride? Oh, uh, you know, super holy stuff. No, Jesus calls them on it point blank. He's like, hey, what were you talking about on the way here? And they fell silent because they'd been arguing about who would be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. God lays out that his expectation is that his people will be servants. Jesus says, I am modeling servanthood, the heart of a servant. Jesus lays out my expectation of my believers, of my people, of my children, is that you will be servants. And we come to this question that Jesus asks in Luke 6, 46. 
And this is a verse that will not be fun to memorize. But I encourage you to memorize it. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Sam, why would you call Jesus Lord and then not do what he tells you? See, when we call him Lord, we're acknowledging that he is the authority. This is not a democracy. Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is what I'm proposing. You know, you weigh in and then we'll talk about it and we'll have a vote. And if it's easy for you, then you can do that. No, when I call Jesus Lord, I am saying, you are the commanding officer. You are my authority. You are my savior. You are my king. What you say goes. That's my standard. This is what I will submit to. This is what I will line my life up with. So why would I call him Lord, Lord, and then not do what he says? But this is where we have to flip our perspective. Because this isn't a burden. This is a privilege. This is an honor. This is a joy. Because I call Jesus Lord out of love. I'm out of recognition of his holiness, recognition that he is Lord, that he is perfect, that I am not, that I'm not getting to heaven without him, that I have no hope for this life without him. In that is a heart then of love. When I understand the depths to which he went for me, how can I not respond with anything but love? And that is where service comes out of. Scripture explains that serving comes out of love. Now, it's possible to serve without love. Anybody who has ever worked in retail or the food industry knows this very well. It is very possible to wait. I spent one summer working at a country club steakhouse, and we had one member who came in every week and demanded a dish that was a special from like two years ago. And every week when you said, hey, that was a special two years ago, you got a 10-minute rant about, don't you know who I am? It, it is possible to serve people and not love them. But I submit, based on Scripture, that if you genuinely love someone, service will automatically be a byproduct of it. And so if the service is lacking, this is going to be a painful question then you have to ask yourself, okay, do I genuinely love this person? Do I genuinely love this group of people who I claim to love if I'm unwilling to serve them? How many of you, if you were taught, you were like, hey, Sam, you're a pastor. I'm sure your marriage is perfect. It's not. I'm not perfect. That's why it's not perfect. But you're like, you know, you're a pastor. I'm going to ask you about marriage. Talk to me about your relationship with your wife. I was like, I love her. I love her with all of me. I just don't want to do anything for her. I just can't be bothered to serve her. I'm, I'm too busy to serve Adeline. How many of you would be like, wow, what a really healthy view on marriage? No, you'd be like, well, then can you really claim you love her? I mean, if I'm unwilling to serve, I say I love you, I just don't expect me to do anything for you. I think biblically, we look at that genuine love must lead to service. And so the flip side of that is if service is lacking, is there really genuine love? Consider these verses. 1 John 3, 14 and 16. And, and the worship team read a passage from 1 John earlier talking about love and life and death. 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do we know this? 
We know that we have passed out of death into life. How? Why? Because we love the brothers. Some translations might say brothers and sisters. It's talking about the church. So John is writing this letter and he says, We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the church. Whoever does not love abides in death. Wow, that's pretty serious. Well, I love the church. John says, yeah, here's how you know you love the church. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, your translation might say brothers and sisters, talking about the church. So John lays out, look, we know we've passed from death into life if we love the church. How do we know if we love the church? Because we are willing to lay our lives down for the church. Now, he was writing to a group of people who very realistically would face this, this decision. I mean, they were being very literally persecuted. Judas killed himself, and then all of the other ones, they were martyred for the church. Or no, one might not have been. John. John was not. Okay, so 12 minus Judas minus John, 10. 10 out of 12 martyred for the church. And they were not, like, rare in that. So John is writing this letter to a group of people who are very likely going to face a, hey, am I willing to die for this body of believers? Realistically, I don't think any of us are going to face that today. I, I don't. Maybe. I don't know the future. You don't know the future. None of us do. But realistically, I don't expect any of us are going to face a decision of, okay, if I stand up here and preach, I am going to die. I, I, don't, I don't expect that to happen in my lifetime. I don't necessarily expect you guys to face a, hey, if I leave my house and go to Community Bible Church on a Sunday, I will be dead by Friday. So what might it look like then to lay down our lives? If this is the standard that has been set for us, Look, if you love the church, lay down your life for it, for the brothers and sisters. Well, let's consider just a Sunday morning. It's great having a worship set, right? They're here Thursday night. They're here early Sunday mornings so that they can lead all of us in worship. You think they might rather not have to drive out when it's seven degrees on a Thursday evening? You think they don't want to sit at home and just watch a sitcom? You think they don't, they don't want to you know, sleep in on a Sunday morning? Throw some cinnamon rolls in the oven? Stroll in at 1035? No, they lay down their life and they say, this is important. This is how I can love the church. This is how I can serve the church. Let's talk about that group in that, that little space back there who they only see the back of our heads unless something goes wrong. So 99% of the time, they only see the back of their heads. And then if a slide is three seconds delayed, are you, are you going to do your job? I've never once, as I'm walking out, heard someone say, hey, Luke, man, it's been like six months with no hiccups. Thank you. When our live stream went down, anybody on live stream, thank you for joining us. When our live stream went down, we heard about it. We heard plenty of frustration. Didn't have a single person say, hey, is there anything I could do to help with that? Did anybody know that Luke was here on weeknights resetting systems 
working trying to fix it, that he was coming in early on Sunday mornings. No, Luke was willing to lay down his life. George and Kyle, if one of them is playing bass, the other one's running sound. There have been so many weeks where they're both back, where they're trying to do both. Nobody's ever said, hey, can I help out? How nice is it on a cold Sunday morning to come in and grab a hot cup of coffee? In the years that I was an elder, in the years I've been pastor, I've had people come up and be like, hey, coffee's low. Hey, I don't think there was enough coffee this morning. Hey, coffee fell a little off this morning. Never once had someone come up and say, you know what? I bet we don't have a magic coffee pot that brews itself. I bet someone gets here early to make coffee for all of us. Is that something I could do to help? That's what laying down your life looks like. It looks like the small sacrifices. It looks like the faithfulness day in and day out. And all of those people, Troy running the camera. If Troy's not there, Ken's not there. You think they wouldn't like to maybe have two weeks in a row where they could sit with their family and just engage in the service? They do it out of love. The kids' wing. I've never once been in a church that didn't desperately need people helping in the kids' wing. But they're back there so you can be in here. This is what it looks like to lay down our lives daily to say your needs are more important than my own. Your preferences are more important than my own. I will sacrifice my time for your behalf. I will give myself for you. This is love for the church. This is a discipline of servanthood. And so I want you to ask yourself, if you're not serving the church, do you love the church? You know you should love the church. You know to say, I love the church. Based on 1 John, I have to ask, Sam, if I am not willing to serve, can I say that I love? I don't see the two of them being separated. This is a discipline. It's hard. It takes effort. It takes work. We got all that snow Thursday. I had to shovel my driveway Friday. You know how I did it? I looked out the window at my neighbor shoveling and I said, that looks like a smart idea. I should do that. And then I went back to reading and my driveway magically shoveled itself. No, that's not really how it happened. How it really happened is I walked outside, I took two shovelfuls and I was like, oh, this is hard work. So I threw my shovel down and I went back inside and my driveway magically shoveled itself. It's also not how it happened. Here's how my driveway got shoveled. I did the first one and then I did the second one and the third one. And then like 17 hours later, I did the nine millionth one. <laughs> and then my driveway was shoveled. That's what it takes. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. It takes, you know what, I'm not just gonna do this on the easy days, I'm gonna do this on the hard days. I'm gonna do this on the days when it's just me. I'm going to pursue this because this is what Jesus modeled for me. This is what Jesus commands of me. This is what Jesus deserves. I said a moment ago, we got to flip our perspective. Please, if you're listening and really listening, I'm not talking about, you know, if you're sitting here because you know you're, I'm talking about if you're listening and you're thinking, man, this doesn't sound fun. We got to flip our perspective because this is a joy. Like I said a moment ago, this is an 
honor. It's not I have to do it. It's, man, are you kidding me? I get a chance to show Jesus my love for him by loving his bride. I, I have the opportunity to say, Jesus, I love you and I am willing to lay down my life for your bride. It's a chance to say, hey, Steve, I love you and I will prove it to you by serving you. What an honor. Who, who likes to do something nice for their loved ones? Spouse, kids, friends, right? How much fun is it on Christmas to give someone you love that gift that you know will make them happy? Right? Like, I know you, I know your personality, I know what matters to you. You will use this, you will like this. Who likes to make, bring flowers home for their wives? Who likes to make their wives' favorite dinner, right? Like, do nice things for the people you love. It's such a joy. It's the same thing with serving. We've got to learn to view this and to understand this as a joy. Church, I love you. I cannot wait to serve you. Mike, I love you. I will look for everything I can do to serve you because that is a privilege. Why? Because I'm serving Jesus. And at the end of all of it, when you strip everything away, what does serving do? It enables us to be more like Jesus. Believer, isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be more like Jesus? Then we should look for every opportunity to serve. What a gift we've been given. I mean, consider these verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says, man, by the grace of God, I got to work hard for his kingdom. By the grace of God, I got to pour myself out for his church, for his bride. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Jesus, thank you that you have given me a chance to serve. What a gift, what a treasure. Philippians 2, 14 through 15, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Over and over again we see serving is a privilege, serving is a joy, be grateful for it. It's not serve, fine. If it'll get Sam off my back, I'll make coffee. I hope you like it. No, that's how a wicked, twisted world views service. The believer does it with gratitude and joy. This is the calling on our lives. This is the gift God has given us. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Remember a moment ago we read Matthew 20? 20, Matthew 20, 27. Jesus says, you want to be great? 
You want to be great in my kingdom? You want to do something for my kingdom? Be a slave to all. He uses the word doulos. Doulos is what starts off this passage in Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bondservants, doulos, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. So he says, bondservants, this is how you are to behave. Obey with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Jesus said that we are all meant to be bondservants of one another. Not doing it for the attention. Hey, did you see me make coffee this week? Pretty good, huh? Did you have a cup? Yeah, I came in early and did that for you. No. Maybe some of you do. I bet the majority of us don't know who makes coffee every morning. Because this individual has never stood up here to be like, hey, not a bad cup of joe. Oh, they show up and they do it. This is what's laid out in Ephesians. Do it. Why? Because you're serving Jesus. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. I'll pursue that. I'll give myself to that. We have to look at the discipline of service as an absolute treat. I can't, I can't believe I get to wake up and do this. I get to be like Jesus. I get to follow his example. I get to obey him. I get to love his bride. That is awesome. Thank you, Lord. This is the theology and the practicality of service. It's, here's what's slayed out in Scripture. Are we going to do it or not? A couple words of caution, just to reiterate. What we talked about before, the second point, don't make the discipline of God. I think of perhaps all the disciplines that we look at, this is the one that can most easily become an idol. Jesus, Luke 10, 40, Martha and Mary. What scripture say? But Martha was distracted with much serving. Preached on this, March 28th of last year, right? March is the third month. I said that really confidently. Yeah, March 28th, that's right. Go back and rewatch this sermon if you want to see what turning service into an idol does to you. Martha turned serving into an idol, and it affected her view of God. It affected how she interacted with Jesus. It affected how she interacted with others. I mean, serving can become an idol. Do not make the discipline of serving a God in and of itself. It is done to make us holier, to be in obedience to Jesus, to be more like Jesus. But it is not the goal in and of itself. And then the other thing to remember with these disciplines is that one does not excuse us from the other. Well, I really don't want to serve, so I'll just I'll throw an extra check in the offering plate and I'll buy my way out of this. Well, I worship really loudly, so I don't have to serve. Well, I show up all, to all the prayer stuff, so I, or you know what? I serve, so that's why I don't give. I serve, so that's why I don't, right? I am serving so hard on a Sunday morning that I don't possibly have energy to do lunch with someone after. No, no, no. One discipline does not buy our way out of the other ones. So be careful when it comes to service to not abuse it, but to look at it as a gift, as an opportunity. And so this week, as we consider how do we apply this, how do we live this out, we've got our reading plan. So keep, keep up with the reading plan. 
But then also read 1 John 3 this week, considering this idea of a discipline of service. A discipline of service that flows out of a heart of love for Jesus, a heart of love for his bride. So we're going to read 1 John 3 together. And then the do is simple, serve. Think of something you're not supposed to do at home and then do it. Think of something, I'm about to say a couple words that will strike fear into the hearts of everyone who has worked with other people. The break room microwave. I, it is nasty. If you've ever worked in an office, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because Sam came in Monday and he microwaved salmon and it smells terrible. And then he came in Tuesday and he microwaved soup and he didn't put a paper towel over it. And it's splat, like the break room microwave is nasty. So this week, spend five minutes of your break, grab some wet paper towels and clean out the break room microwave. Take the time to wipe up the sink in the bathroom. The trash can's full. Well, it's his turn. Take it outside. Empty it. Look for things that you're not supposed to do and do them. Do them from a place of love. What's a chore around the house? That's somebody else's responsibility. Oh, this week it's your responsibility. Fun fact about me. In between moving out of my parents' house and getting married, I did not make my bed once. Uh, not true. If my mom was like coming to college to look at my dorm room, I'd make it. Be like, oh, I do this every day, mom. No. Mom, if you're listening, not once. And then I got married, and I found out there are people who like a made bed. And I don't understand it. And I don't do it every day. But most days, I try and take the extra time to make the bed because my wife likes it. What's something you can do around home that would show, hey, mom, dad, I love you? If you're old enough, please, if you're old enough, parents, maybe intervene on this one. But if you're old enough, boil a pot of water, throw some pasta in, throw a jar of sauce in afterwards, spaghetti, make dinner for your parents. Mom, Dad, you always do this for me. I appreciate that. I'm going to do it for you this week. Parents, kids are supposed to take out the trash? Not this week. This week you got it. Let's just look for ways to serve. Look for ways to express our love for Jesus, our love for his children, our love for his bride. This is a gift. Let's be a church that takes advantage of it. And so the prayer ideas are simple. Lord, thank you for the example. Thank you for the, the details, the definitions. Give me a servant's heart. God, I don't naturally want to do this. I get distracted with my own stuff. I am not inclined to seek out ways to serve. Lord, would you give me a servant's heart? Maybe the prayer needs to start there. And then the connect, reach out to one another. Hey, what are you learning? How's this series pushing you? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you this week? Let's keep growing. I love it. I love what God is doing. Make no mistake, it's all God. So let's just continue to follow his example, to obey his standards, to be a church that looks like and lives like and loves and serves like Jesus. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you for how I, I, I cannot even fully wrap my mind around the idea of Jesus serving me. God, I'm, I, I'm afraid that I would be the one who didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. 
thank you. Forgive me for when I view service as a burden. Forgive me for when I look for all the excuses to get out of it. Forgive us, Lord. Give this church body a servant's heart. Give us the desire to serve. Give us the realization of what a joy and an honor and a privilege and a blessing it is. We love you. Teach us how to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.